In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, please be seated. <clears throat> I am often gripped by an early childhood memory of being at a river in Bali, Indonesia with my caretaker with whom I felt an emotional attachment stronger than to my own mother. A spring gurgled up from the ground in a small alcove that had been shaped in the pumice rock by the water. And we went there in the late afternoon to draw water and bathe. And in the early evening twilight, the fireflies glowed. Fireflies flash in distinct patterns to attract a suitable mate, each with its own unique code. And one species whose females imitate the mating signals of females, of, of males of other species, lure the males and, and, and promptly eat them. I was blissfully unaware of these firefly flacks, <laughs> firefly facts at the time. When this memory takes hold of me, notwithstanding I am aware, currently aware of these firefly flags, but when it takes hold of me, I feel a joyous ache, certainly not for that experience because you can't capture and duplicate these moments of wonder, but what for the memory evokes, it's a longing for a more perfect and beautiful world. I'm sure each of you can recall such a moment. C.S. Lewis described this inconsolable longing, and he described it in this way, the sweetest thing in all my life has been the longing to reach the mountain, to find the place where all the beauty came from. My country, the place where I ought to have been born. For the past several weeks, Father James has preached a Lenten series on the theme of dependency on God. Uh, last Sunday he talked about, uh, to us about the implications of God's ownership of us. And today on Passion Sunday, we consider this theme of longing, which incorporates and elevates these other themes. Lent, is about what we are willing to give up for that for which we long. It is not about renunciation of things we desire, but about the deepest longings of our being for the relationship in which we find the culmination of all our desires. Our psalmist in the 130th Psalm sings about this longing. I hope for the Lord, my being hoped, and for his word I waited, my being for the master more than the dawn watchers watch for the dawn. The closest I can come to imagining what the psalmist describes is a euphoric memory of the final night of the semester in boarding school when we were very little and even when we were teenagers. The night before we went home to our moms and dads after being away from them for several months and our longing, was in t our longing for home was intensified by that absence. And on that night, the last night, we were amped up with excitement, and we could not wait for the dawn of the day when we could finally go home. I think the psalmist is describing this kind of intensity, this longing to be at home with God in the fullness of his loving presence and forgiving presence. And what is startling and marvelous, if we stop and read the psalm carefully, is that the writer longs for God to come home to him. And this indicates wonder of wonders that God also longs for us. The difference, I suppose, is that we long for him out of our emptiness, and he for us out of his fullness, and he fills our emptiness. Longing is an ache for that which we do not know, cannot fully comprehend, master, control, and domesticate, thank God. It is an aching for the unattainable. The Spanish poet Garcia Lorca called it the mysterious power which everyone senses 
and no philosopher explains. Karl Barth called it our incurable God sickness. In our longing, we reach for a higher and deeper reality, which intensifies whatever lesser reality we experience. It's a longing for something outside of ourselves, which draws, into, draws us into itself, and is itself the origin and fulfillment, not just of our desires, but of our entire being. And our longing is the great gateway to belonging. So perhaps it's not so much that we want to be owned by God, but that we want to belong to him. And our Old Testament gospel and epistle readings for today tell us that the only way to attain this, what we long for, is by dying. And of all the paradoxes of life, this is perhaps among the greatest, I, because it requires a death of life as we know it to obtain the life we don't yet know, but we long for. If you think of the psalm, uh, the, he calls the Lord from out of the depths of the sea. And, and in, in Hebrew literature and Hebrew culture, the sea is image, an image of the realm of death. From Ezekiel, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, flowing with milk and honey. From Paul writing to his beloved in Rome, all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus' death, buried therefore with him so that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too might walk in newness of life. From John recounting the story of Lazarus, Lazarus smells for he has been dead for four days. And Jesus cries out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. Death is, of course, a literal reality, but it's also a metaphor for change, for transformation. Just as we resist physical death, we resist metaphorical death. Death of a dream. Lame is, I had a dream my life would be so different from the hell I'm living. Now life has killed the dream I dream. How has life killed your, your dream? Death of a career, a business, a relationship, a marriage perhaps, or a friendship? When something dies, what do you do? Do you die with it, or do you reach for life? W.H. Auden wrote in Apropos of Many Things, his poem, we would rather be ruined than changed. We would rather die in our dread than climb the cross of the present and let our illusions die. In the past few years, I have often said what has kept me at all souls are the people of all souls. This is an understandable sentiment, and it's more than a sentiment. It is a deep love, but it's also a love that can be egocentric and conditional. I mean, conditional on the ones I love staying and staying the same. Don't change. Don't grow up. Don't grow. Don't get old. Don't die. We can't come to life, experience new life, if we don't experience some kind of death. And longing for God does not mean abandonment of life, but of always reaching for the God of life and the life God wants to give us, that he wants us to live in the midst of our dying. In this way, suffering does not strip our lives of meaning, but intensifies the meaning. And our passages are a, I don't know if you would call them a beautiful meditation on death, but a startling meditation on death, culminating in the gospel where Jesus weeps over the bitter sweetness of death. Ezekiel's valley is full of death, disintegration, detachment, dryness, dry bones scattered everywhere. And God takes those bones and he makes life from the bones, sinew, flesh, skin, and finally breath, ruach. And not so the bones will live, but it says there in the textbook, so that you will live. And not zombies. People 
personhood, identity. Lazarus is not just dead. He is four days decomposing dead. Jesus lets him get good and dead. Those of us who watch football saw along with millions watching the game DeMar Hamlin of the Buffalo Bills die on the football field from cardiac arrest. It was terrifying. When the heart stops, a person will stop breathing. And within two to 20 seconds, the brain will stop functioning. Thankfully, brain cells die very slowly and can be restored. And thankfully, medical personnel resuscitated Hamlin. This is not what Jesus did for Lazarus. Jesus was not like the ace medical team on the sidelines of that football uh, field. Jesus was, was a terrible first responder. <laughs> when, 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 when he receives word that Lazarus is sick, he doesn't go. He stays two days. Why? The text tells us because he loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. When Martha runs to meet Jesus as he is arriving too late, she is furious. What kind of love is this, Jesus? And when Jesus finally does get to the tomb, he weeps. And some said those are tears of grief, of loss, of love. And others said the tears are useless. Wasted water is all that is. They were both right. Jesus is sad that Lazarus has died, and he is sad that he cannot prevent death, and he is undoubtedly sad that he himself is going to his death, and not even God will stop it, and in fact, God will ordain it. And several days later in the story, Mary will anoint Jesus, of whom Jesus says, she has done what she could to anoint my body for burial. But the tears of Jesus are bittersweet with longing for the God who brings life out of death. Jesus weeps, and then he prays that you may believe, that they may believe that you sent me. And now here, the you is to his Father. And this echoes what Jesus has said previously to Mary. Did not I tell you if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Jesus doesn't pray for a miracle so that everyone will know he is a miracle worker. What he prays is that the miracle will lead all the mourners to the source of all life. When Lazarus comes forth, Jesus is totally low-key. Unwrap him and let him go. He says, Lazarus is also chill about the whole thing. He doesn't indicate he's happy to be back. He's, he has to die again, after all. They, they don't have a resuscitation party. Neither Jesus nor Lazarus are the focal point. God is. What we long for is not life itself, but for the giver of life. This is what Ezekiel dry bones and Lazarus stories are about. You, we will see the glory of God, the beatific vision. This is what we really want. The vision not of our beloved resuscitated, but of God who will resurrect our beloved. Not to have a body that never dies, immortality, but to experience the love of God in our dying bodies. Lent is about love. Our true challenge is not death at all, but rather the sorrows and longings of being alive. We think we long for eternal life, but what we're really longing for is perfect and unconditional love, grace, mercy, forgiveness. We're coming into Passion Week when we walk in love together toward the cross. Sorrow, longing, and death bind us together. They are our pathway to love, and our greatest and most difficult task is learning how to walk it together. I regularly visit three people in our congregation who are much closer to the end of their lives than to the beginning. And the last time I did so, for each of them, I was made keenly aware, not of their infirmities, 
but of those who love them in their sickness. And in the realization that Jesus probably won't work a miracle, but that love is not dependent on power encounters, but is expressed most strongly in our weakness and our dying. When Lazarus got sick, Jesus waited for death, but he also waited for the Lord. More than dawn watchers watch for the dawn, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. Amen.